Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party in Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, my man, how's it going? It's been going really well. Loving playing Winter Express. Been a fun week. And uh, this is an episode we've had planned for a while now, now that uh, we hit the big four. I do I do think it's funny that I feel like we say that a lot, that we have all our episodes planned for a while, but we do like to plan out the episodes. This is one of them that we've really been looking forward to. We're kind of going to go through the maps. We're going to do a little map guide and discuss the lore behind each and every map, uh, as long as give some tips on what we think are the most effective legends on each map, a topic that we kind of have circled to do at some point in time, and today's the day. Before we do that, though, make sure if you want your question answered on the podcast, please leave it in the form of a five-star review on Apple Pods. If you enjoy the third-party podcast and you want more, especially for the holidays, please consider joining our Patreon community. We recently became Patreon ambassadors, so we're very much entrenched in that community over there, getting access to new features all the time, exclusive events, and really Patreon is what has made this podcast possible. So if you want to be a part of that and get some awesome benefits in return, we'd love to see you over there. Um, We love playing with our patrons. We love all the benefits in terms of exclusive merch, replica weapons, all that kind of fun stuff. It's over there. Yeah, we wouldn't be here without you guys. Like, just plain and simple. It comes down to that. So we truly do appreciate it. But let's dive into it like we do on Saturday, straight into the topic. We're talking all the maps today. We'll see how long this takes. I think it could go either way, but I'm excited to break these down. Like you kind of said, we've had four, we have four now. And that's kind of the number we've been waiting to give another kind of brief overview of all of these and talk about them because Apex, in terms of the BR scape, is ahead of the game on number of maps and they're all really cool and interesting uh, in each of its own ways. And I think e- I think each one has its fans and its uh, haters as well. So it's going to be cool. I think we get to give our opinions a little bit on this. We kind of just talked a little bit about it on Patreon as well uh, and got some more opinions over there. This is going to be quite exciting one. Are you looking forward though, to the chatting about maps? I am. Um, yeah, we had a whole discussion episode where all of our patrons got to throw in their favorite map and why mm-hmm. and it was nice to kind of see a, a difference of opinion. And I think we learned a lot from hearing their perspectives. So this will be a fun one. No doubt. We're going to start with Kings Canyon, the first map we ever got to play on in Apex Legends. And he's in, even crazier to think, though, that there are now players that have not experienced this map at all. Uh, I think Kings Canyon tends to get a bad rap amongst the community for choke points, size, constant third parties, all that fun stuff. This is something that Henry and I tend to push back on. It really is players holding on to the worst parts of Kings Canyon. It was the first map ever to introduced into the game. Yes, there were occasionally some issues and stuff, as there have been with all things introduced in the Apex. But the map has come such a long way since then. To ignore the drastic changes to the map over the season with the intent purposes of solving some of those issues just doesn't give the design team over at Respawn the credit it deserves because the map is in a fantastic place now and is an absolutely amazing one. Any version of Kings Canyon totally has that nostalgia factor that always hits home i know with the two of us and hopefully with some of our listeners but the newest iteration is still a map we really enjoy the amount of loot is just absolutely insane explosive holds loot ticks the supply ship 
you've always had these features that just really provide loot in a way that other maps truly don't. Uh, you got unique features like the charge towers. You adds more legend slash power to that kind of play style compared to the other maps. Uh, but most importantly, this is a map that highlights verticality and really introduced the concept of power positions uh, into the podcast. And that's how we started thinking about rotating, taking height, and how we truly do think about playing Apex Legends. This was the map that started it all and is one we both still truly do enjoy. Yeah, this is my favorite map, uh, I think, by a lot. I think the, the nostalgia definitely adds to that. But I also love the town takeovers on this map. You know, caustic treatment and mm -hmm. map room are incredible. I really think that they add a lot to the game and are fun to play around. Power positions, the explosive holds are just huge. You know, they're game-changing features. And just from a map design standpoint, like you said, Shay, the verticality on this map is unlike anything else. You know, even mm -hmm. losing the iconic Skull Town, this map still in its current yeah. state has so much to offer on a gameplay perspective that I just think is a blast to play mm -hmm. on. I, I totally agree. We're going to go into the lore of each map. This is always something we enjoy talking about. Excuse me. But I think I'm really excited to do it, especially for Kings. But it's, it's going to get progressively shorter as we go through each map. But this one's been around for a while. So there's a lot that's happened. So uh, hopefully you all enjoy some nice little lore talk in the history of Kings Canyon. So once a simple settlement on the planet Solus, dating back to the earliest expeditions to the frontier, the island that is known as Kings Canyon didn't thrive until a century later when the now defunct IMC chose it as a hub for research and development. It housed an airbase, a water treatment plant, and a plethora of other facilities to support the IMC's operations. Operations like a highly classified project on the function of phase tech, or a radical program to create a simulacra army provided by a single brain. But on the surface, Kings Canyon seemed like simple IMC installation that, for all its faults, brought stability and jobs to solace. To blow off steam, IMC st soldiers stationed here would compete in gladiator-esque combat in an area they nicknamed Thunderdome. Years later, when the Syndicate commissioned the re rebuilding of the island of Kings Canyon as the home of their newest blood sport, they insisted that Thunderdome remain untouched, a tribute to the earliest known predecessor of what we know today as the Apex Games. An EMP detonated by Crypto in the Repulsor Tower allowed nearby flyers and leviathans to invade the island. The leviathans made their home in the river and destroyed the settlements on it. The legends were evacuated and the games were put on hold due to the attack. The respite allowed the syndicate to add new areas to the map, including a huge structure near the destroyed bridges and hydro dam called the cage and a camp near what was once Cascades called containment. Continued disturbances in the arenas forced the syndicate to relocate the games to another arena at Talos World's Edge, which we'll talk about later. The games eventually returned to Kings Canyon, however, after a failed attempt at killing Revenant, Loba Andrada accidentally set off a chain of explosions in an abandoned simulacra facility causing Thunderdome and Skulltown to collapse, and much of the island has been excavated under the watchful eye of the syndicate. Man, that was a sad time when we had to see Skulltown get blown to smithereens. Broken Fuse hearts. Entered, yeah, broken hearts. Fuse entered the game with a boom on a massive party barrage. His entry to the games was a political union between his homeworld, Salvo, and the Syndicate. A freedom fighter and an, an old friend named Maggie shows up and threatened Fuse as well as the other Apex games. Through an act of terrorism, Maggie blows up the ship and a portion of the map, introducing new POIs of Crash Site and Spotted Lakes. 
there was a massive ecological destruction of King's Canyon with the ship crashing and releasing oil and gas into the environment. Echo, ecological cleanup and hazard outreach, was tasked with cleaning up the mess. Essentially, King's Canyon connects the lore of so many legends and events throughout since the game has begun, and it really is the core of Apex Legends at its finest. I think we will forever enjoy the story of Apex and King's Canyon, and I'm sure it's going to take us back there eventually, and we will learn more. There seems to still be some more secrets maybe lurking around every corner. We haven't dug up every inch of the map yet. (laughs) Yeah, I think that... Right now, it's sad that I feel like it's been a long time since we've played on King's Canyon, but definitely the idea of having four BR maps now Mm -hmm. definitely makes you wonder, will the cadence change? Will we continue to have one split where we, on a ranked basis, just have two maps per season? What's Mm -hmm. it going to be in terms of, uh, you know, normal trios rotation what will we typically see in terms of what maps are available um going forward i think is a big question and one that impacts kings the most out of any of the other more new maps totally i mean like i kind of said at the top it's crazy to me that there's players coming to the game that have never played kings not just like the current king's canyon but like they've never played skull town which i still like that's what i think of when i think of apex i think of skull town and so i just feel like in some way shape or form bringing it back whether it is the cadence of an update or how we're kind of we did in arenas putting in miniaturized versions of the maps but maybe doing that in ltm form or in a new mode down the line i hope we never fully lose sight of any of these maps whether like or dislike from myself or the community um yeah lore is great and this map is one that uh, has definitely impacted us let's talk about legends though give a little legend advice here on how we think the the map should be played and some tips and tricks we have yeah so when we think about a tactical analysis of each map and what each legends kits react to different environmental features um King's Canyon is pretty unique in that mm-hmm. it has a good amount of open space. And it has that open space that's separated by not a whole lot of urban POIs with a ton of buildings, like on maybe some other maps where each POI is pretty moderately sized. Um, there's not, you know, that huge west east fragment. There's no longer the school town. And so we kind of have open space and then really healthy sized POIs throughout. The other major feature that impacts a legend decision is the charge towers on the map. Um, These are just huge, and they don't impact really anyone else more than Loba and Lifeline. Mm -hmm. Lifeline's ability to call in three or four care packages in the early to middle game via charge towers is incredibly impactful to her kit and it's the reason that she's at her strongest on king's canyon yeah i mean if you are worried about finding guns or any attachments ever uh, play lifeline and loba together on this map and you will uh, absolutely love your life (laughs) yeah and you know as we talk about different legends and which really shine on different maps this Mm -hmm. isn't to say that certain legends uh that we don't mention are irrelevant. This is kind of just like what 
specifically about a legends kit really thrives in a certain environment. And we're definitely making assumptions and generalizations here, but there's definitely no ignoring the fact that the charge towers impact lifeline a ton and allow mm-hmm. you to loot really quickly with Loba. No doubt. The next two legends kind of tie into a little bit about the bad rap on King's mm-hmm. Canyon. That's the choke points. You know, you think about uh, scrap caves outside of market. Um, Bangalore and Bloodhound are kind of seen as anti-choke point legends in different ways. So you can kind of scout out with a scan to see is this choke point being camped or mm-hmm. you have Bangalore that can use her tactical and ultimate to kind of separate, create chaos and get around teams when needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are two very strong legends for this kind of play style and, and map particularly. I know we've played so much Bangalore and Bloodhound on Kings Canyon. One, they're OGs and have been around since the start, but two, for that very same reason that if you are worried about the choke points, smoke is a great tool to avoid it. Just shoot it at the enemy. One of our favorite kind of like smoke tactics, smoke the enemy, and then all of a sudden you might have a little bit of an easier rotate than you you would have otherwise. For sure. I think the smoke is kind of underrated. It's a really interesting mechanic and ability in Apex, but one that you should definitely take the time to master on Kings. Um, the other thing we want to really highlight is survey beacons are at their absolute strongest on Kings Canyon because mm-hmm. of the map design. You have the huge walls of artillery, airbase, and repulsor, as well as some pretty substantial high ground that will determine the outcome of a game. So Mm -hmm. if you get there first and you defend it, you essentially are really increasing your chances of winning the game. And that means that Crypto, Valkyrie, Pathfinder, Bloodhound, and Seer have a real edge on King's Canyon as Mm -hmm. better legends because of the survey beacon and its strength for the end game. Like we said, this is the map that kind of started that rotation play the vertical power positions kind of play style and that is the superior map for playing that and the beacons let you do it more effectively than any other uh ability set in this entire game and so yeah coupling it now with falc also is one of my favorite tactics on this map without a doubt yeah and i think right now one of my favorite things about king's canyon is the explosive holds the ability to just get ridiculous loot for any weapon you want Mm -hmm. really easily is incredible and very very fun honorable mention for playing fuse because of his ability to carry more grenades but i don't necessarily think it's a requirement but it's certainly a strength that fuse is kind of tied to the very fabric of king's canyon from a lore perspective and from just explosives and having Mm -hmm. this extra loot unlockable yeah for sure no doubt i think that sums up the legends really well this is a definite a map that plays well to a certain type of legends and they all do have their each unique advantages one that kind of a point we've been trying to hammer home for a while now i think the survey beacons on king's canyon is probably the single strongest example of this in the game though but we could reminisce forever i'm ready to go on the world's edge though all right so world's edge you have Fire and Ice, a beautiful map that has undergone a lot of change, to be honest. We can confidently say, though, that it is a fan favorite map and is the most popular competitive Apex map to date. Players love this map, and while there are many amazing POIs, 
it's the West and East fragment that really drives so much excitement and hot drops for World's Edge. This map has undergone changes, but has had so many unique features over time. RIP, the train, it was such an interesting piece of gameplay and kind of the gold loot potential. Mm-hmm. World's Edge also introduced new loot concepts that changed gameplay forever um, in not just Apex, but other BRs in the genre with features like loot vaults. Yeah, this is an awesome map. <laughs> it's it's so absolutely iconic. Yeah, like it's got the, it's, I think this was the first semblance. Like, I love the look of King's Canyon. But looking at World's Edge for the first time was just this whole like, oh my goodness, it is just gorgeous. Drop dead, beautiful. You have the rolling greens, the lava, the ice. You got cities on cities, the metropolis kind of style gameplay everywhere you go. This map, I think for a lot of people is how they think about Apex Legends at its core currently. Yeah, the it's just such an epic map and the game updates have just been really really good i think that mm-hmm. we really enjoy staging and countdown um has great additions and just the idea of having lava city skyhook and then west and east fragment as these you know pois that are not only large but have large buildings where you have the floor to floor combat intense vertical fights um definitely will play into which legends we think are most effective on this map yeah, no doubt about it. Well said. Let's hear some of that uh, sweet, sweet lore for a for World's Edge because uh, this is another one that has a steep history. It certainly does. So World's Edge is based off a harsh planet beset by intense volcanic activity. Talos was once deemed uninhabitable, but only a small Luddite settlements took root there. However, it became a hotbed of IMC activity when a rare mineral compound was discovered beneath the surface. Heat-reducing towers are built to supercool its natural lava flows to allow resource extraction. The facility that housed them was optimistically dubbed New Dawn, and the town of World's Edge grew around it. Decades ago, an explosion... An explosion in one of the towers covered the surrounding area in a lethal flash freeze. World's Edge was abandoned, its only remaining inhabitants a small community of hunters who once spurned modern technology, but tentatively accepted it, again under the guidance of their beloved local hero, Bloodhound. However, its ruins and the planet's energy-rich soil drew the attention of two critical groups, the Mercenary Syndicate and Hammond Robotics. After the repulsor attack on King's Canyon and the various attempts to rebuild it proved too much trouble than they're worth. World's Edge became the second home of the Apex Games and a key operational center for Hammond Robotics, who installed the latest and modern mining technology, the Planet Harvester, to begin their own resource extraction. Sorting Factory, located in this area, was the site of the murder of James the Forge McCormick, an incoming legend of the games by Revenant. Afterwards, the entrance of Hammond Robotics' planetary harvester into the area changed its landscape, devastating Capital City and opening up lava fissures, splitting it in two. A couple more buildings were erected by Hammond. During a season break, the rocket Arcadia was stationed near the dome area of the arena alongside facilities for its maintenance. The state of World's Edge reaching a breaking point when the train yard, refinery, and sorting factory were devastated by the ecological collapse by the harvester. 
As such, Ham Robotics installed the Lava Siphon and Climatizer to regulate Talos's naturally natural volatility. In truth, however, the Climatizer cools the air while the Lava Siphon heats it back up, which will cause further catastrophe to the planet. With the Harvester shut down and overtaken by Bloodhound's village, they wish to set their sights on Hammond for devastating their home. Meanwhile, Bloodhound feels immense guilt and responsibility for the state of things in their home and wish to know why they would have allowed such a thing to happen. Dude, the lore of this map is absolutely crazy, and what happened in the future is still so up in the air. Does Bloodhound and the Legends save the day? Do we finally get that Hammond confrontation? Or... Dude, I think I like theorized it a long time ago on a Patreon episode hidden long time away, but I was saying like I wouldn't be surprised if World's Edge was going to go kaboom. That was at a time yeah. when I thought that they were going to follow like the Fortnite reset of every chapter kind of thing. So I think it's less likely that that happens now, but this map just keeps getting wrecked and wrecked and wrecked. So uh, something's going to break one way or another, and uh, it's going to be one to really see unfold, and I'm excited for the events of watching that happen. Yeah, I mean, it's really sad what's been happening to the environment here. But mm-hmm. now that a blood sport just happens here, I don't know if it's, I think it's past the point of no return. Um, but aesthetically, I think the idea of fire and ice is such a great idea and just mm-hmm. makes it look so, so good. And it's probably the reason that so many people like the map outside of just the buildings and different mm-hmm. rotations, just look in the feel of this map and lava pretty dang cool hard to complain about that yeah no doubt about it and let's go and talk about some of the legends and some of that kind of the characteristics of the map that lead into it and you kind of mentioned it we have this uh, north and south fire and ice hard separation which is one that you definitely have to think about how you play Uh, but more importantly west and east fragment lava city and skyhook the most urban area of any map in the history of Apex Legends, and there's no way to not play through a city or buildings at some point in time when you're playing on World's Edge, and that's really going to be something that defines who we think are some of the best legends. And then you also got to mention that there is still this balance, though, of how of having rolling hills for this open space and some kind of long rotations that can put you in some trouble at times. Um, the two legends we need to highlight to start, though. Watson and Caustic. This is the map where defensive legends shine. It has not been as prominent on any other map, maybe some King's Canyon arguments, but the ability still on World's Edge to defend up these certain building structures as Watson and Caustic is unparalleled in comparison to other maps and really does lend to this successful playstyle that we saw echoed not just in kind of our ranked metas per se at the time but also in the pro play and since we've shifted away from World's Edge and the updates and such we have kind of lost some of those defensive legends so Watson and Caustic do truly shine here do you want to make an argument for your girl Rampart as well in that defensive legend class? <laughs> uh, sure, I can always make a play for that. But, you know, truth be told, just the buildings here work so well for the defensive legends. Even I think Kings Canyon is kind of the runner up right now in really elevating the strengths of legends like Caustic and Watson. But in those wooden two-story structures, there's so many cracks and windows that you can get a grenade through. Mm-hmm. 
world's edge, really not so much the case. You really have nice tight doors, good buildings that have lots of easily defendable points. And then of course the multi-store or multi-level massive urban buildings. So I think it's a pretty clear winner for where these legends rise to the top. Yeah, that that kind of urban environment also lends into the Pathfinder and Horizon, vertical mobility, like you're saying, getting from the bottom of the building to the top of the building. If you can let the cat out, it's no problem at all. The third party nation, uh, the third party nation is uh, very supportive of solar if you need to attend. But I think it is quite interesting to see Pathfinder and Horizon, these vertical mobility legends have so much more success on this kind of urban style environment and it's a lot easier for us to recommend when you're getting use out of okay you're coming at people from multiple angles and it's not just the hey i'm going from the ground floor to the top but being able to go from the second floor to the third floor in a very unique way uh, is quite powerful especially on those hot city drops totally and that's really where valk shines here is that just quick bouncing between floor to floor and then the fact that west and east fragment are kind of segmented off from the rest of the map with a mountain range. Mm-hmm. That means that Valkyrie has such a unique ability to rotate in situations where no other legend would be able to avoid the choke points on this map. So you've seen it in the pros. I think that this is a map where Valkyrie really shines, honestly, because of that map design feature that she can redeploy her team anywhere on the map. And that's just such a strong ability. And with a map like this, being able to third party, being able to rotate across the mountain, it's a huge strength for her. Yeah, no doubt. Mobility and defense, two strong characteristics of World's Edge. Before we get into the rest of the maps, though, here's a quick little word from our sponsors. Welcome back. Olympus time. Olympus time. This was the one that was a hot topic of debate uh, amongst our Patreon discussion and one that I think has fallen out of favor with a lot of people. So I'm excited to give some opinions here and kind of spitball a little bit more with you. Anything to say before I dive into Olympus a little bit more? I think we should just dive into it and uh, see how things settle in the end. Yeah. So Olympus obviously entered the map rotation as the one that was meant to be perfect. A combo of all the things we loved about previous maps put into one. This was not really the case, though, and not coming out here to say that that is a bad thing. We learned a lot more about map design from the perspective of Respawn by seeing Olympus. Olympus came in with this circular shape that just came with a different play style. In general, though, that signified that each map is not certainly meant to be a better version of the previous one but a different way to play Apex Legends because of the map. Uh, Removing the city elements led into that different kind of play style that we got on Olympus, a more open play style that really did have less verticality and did not play as much into favor of the defensive legends from covering the open grounds. You had a lot less natural cover. The entire map was man-made and it was meant to look beautiful. And in a big, beautiful city, there's not really rocks in the middle of the road randomly that uh, legends can hide behind. So we've definitely seen more of a emphasis on needing to potentially rotate from point A to point B quicker in the more open area. And then the other defining characteristic, the one that I love you always talk about, is we got the phase runner, not from the phasing from one side of the map to the other, but this huge, massive piece of environment right in the middle of the map creates all these choke points that you don't have to rotate through. 
throughout the match. And it really does impact the flow of the game and how we think about playing Olympus. Yeah, I think it really does. And it reinforces the idea of a circle and it's all kind Mm -hmm. of pushing into the middle. This was the first map the level designer Dave Ozai really led. And Mm -hmm. we definitely thought that this was a great opportunity to pull all those good pieces that we enjoyed. Um, But it really didn't happen that way because it's so artificial. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we've continued to be surprised in the direction of new map design. We know what's really popular about Apex on Kings Canyon. That was Schooltown destroyed. Mm -hmm. World's Edge, we have West and East Fragment. They tried to destroy it. It only made it more popular. Um, (laughs) We didn't get that on Olympus. We didn't get Mm -hmm. that major city hot drop. Why was that? You know, we talked about it at the time, but this was kind of, in our view, a way to encourage player retention. You know, Mm -hmm. if you can increase, you know, lifetime and people actually playing and not dropping and dying, dropping and dying, it might be better for the game health, even though players probably would never ask, uh, you know, for the removal of West and East Fragment or Skulltown, mm-hmm. um, this was kind of imposed and I think an idea to make the game better, more enjoyable in the long run. And, and we got Tridents also. Was, it really Huge. did introduce this new, like this new way to play that was, I don't want to say easier, but different. And like you were talking about, maybe more approachable to help that more casual player uh, enjoy Apex. And so, yeah, that was what the direction it seemed like it was going in. And yeah, that's an interesting map still to this day because of it. Let's go lore. So Olympus was a city built on dreams. Built in 2640 by billionaire humanitarian Lillian Peck, this utopia floating in the clouds above Samathe was once a place where the brightest minds in the outlands could gather and exchange ideas, leading to breakthroughs in the sciences and arts. Olympus produced a number of breakthroughs for the outlands, including developments and eco-friendly jump drives for short-distance vessels, a phase technology for immediate transportation called the Phase Runner, and drone technology for health and security systems. All dreams come to an end, however, and this is one. And this one ended explosively. The Phase Runner accident in an experiment research facility led to the creation of the Phase Rift, a massive bubble of phase energy, and the Outlands' best and brightest quickly abandoned the city. However, Olympus itself was maintained by advanced computer systems, so it quickly found new buyers in the Outlands elite. For 40 years, it served as a lavish vacation spot with the Rift as a tourist attraction. Unfortunately, the Rift grew unstable over time, and Olympus was fully evacuated six months ago, as of the time of this kind of like lore breakdown, essentially. Now Hammond Robotics, with the support of the Mercenary Syndicate, has transformed Olympus into a stage for the Apex Games. Though, why? is anyone's guess at that point. And we then get to learn a bit more about the lore going into uh, the future of Olympus and the map updates. We learn a bit more about Horizon. We learn about Branthium, Pathfinder's Quest, and where this all essentially originated from, how this explosion occurred. Like, I really love that. Oh my goodness, I got an Amazon delivery. Uh, I really love that this map transformed how we got to look at the stories of some of our legends. It introduced the origins of Pathfinder, one of our favorites. And I think it really started to dive deeper into Hammond specifically. And we got to see a little bit more of the good and bad of the syndicate and the apex predators through all this Pathfinder's quest storyline. And so this was a really big one in terms of lore, in my opinion, and definitely one that the story's not over, over in Olympus, I would say. 
Yeah, I think about this map, one of my favorite things are the Marvins. I think that's a really totally. fun addition throughout the map. And then, I mean, you talked about Pathfinder's backstory. I think Fight Night is probably my favorite part of the entire map um, for all reasons. I like the fights there. <laughs> I like all the reasons. There, I like the location. <laughs> like it's really, I always try to go there no matter what, mm-hmm. every game. Um, but from kind of a, a tactical analysis perspective, we have legends and the legends and the reason why a different legend might rise to the top on Olympus is number one, you have this central choke. We talked about mm-hmm. the map as a circle and everything kind of funnels into Hammond and kind of the research facility mm-hmm. at the very, very center of the map. Outside of that, the buildings are pretty open. We have the kind of iconic now oval small buildings um, that don't really lend themselves to really clean fences and things like that. There's no doors to block with a gas trap or anything like that. So very, very different on a basic building perspective. Then of course you have triadents that definitely impact the gameplay. And then, you know, very different from King's Canyon and World's Edge a lot less high ground opportunity. Mm -hmm. Even the Mm -hmm. tallest buildings in the whole map aren't really great for commanding an area. You know, we have a bonsai that you only have a few little ports and windows Mm -hmm. that you can use to command an area, not super effective. Um, And so it's interesting that we still have good sized POIs. We don't Mm -hmm. have power positions like we had in previous maps. It was a big adjustment for how a lot of people need to play the game. And I think the, yeah, the first legend on this list really signifies how you adjust to it. <laughs> That's Gibraltar. You know, mm-hmm. he's the edge lord, so good at playing in open areas. Doesn't really matter high ground, low ground. Gibraltar's kit has so much strength um, to help the team rotate. And I think that if out of all maps, Gibraltar is very strong in my opinion, but this is mm-hmm. where I think the community at large saw Gibraltar shine in terms of his kits and how the map was designed. Yeah, he, he's so well suited for this. And honestly, the way you played him on this map, people really learned the effectiveness of it and it bleeded over into how you play other maps with Gibraltar, despite them not being built the same way. That's how I think you see when a, a map really brings something out of a certain Legends kit. Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, on top of that, Gibraltar is maybe the best legend to have on your team when you're using a trident, just because Mm -hmm. you can place the bubble on the trident. And not only do you have the boost, but you also have that protection of the bubble if you need to rotate through a team. So a whole lot of reasons why Gibby is so strong on this map. Gotta love Gibby. (laughs) Next, I think you have to highlight Horizon. You know, she was introduced mm-hmm. on this map. It's definitely her home. Um, and based off the the building design and the POI design at large, her kit really molds well um, to combat in different environments. So I think that this is probably her strongest map. Um, mm-hmm. As perfect as that sounds, you know, she's definitely strong in any sort of urban environment. But based off of the speed of her tactical to just get up one or two floors, um, the building design on Olympus, I think works perfect for that because the buildings aren't too tall. They're not too mm-hmm. open. You have a lot of good protection. Uh, so you're not super vulnerable while riding uh, the gravity uh, funnel. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I don't know. I think this is where Horizon has her strength. I think when you think about, like, you have the stereotypical buildings for each map. For Olympus, it's the oval circular buildings and then kind of the the stacked buildings. I don't know what shape we want to call those per se. But the fact that they are so hard to climb to the top of, you kind of mm-hmm. have to climb the skinny post for most of the time, really lends into this advantage for Horizon, who can just get up there pretty quickly, pop that bat, and all of a sudden she's in an advantageous situation. So yeah, she she was built for the map, obviously, and she plays really well to it. So it makes a ton of sense for sure. And uh, yeah, the open ground kind of forcing people not having a lot of cover really plays into her ultimate as well and really being able to identify and just destroy some people if you got a team that's willing to throw some nades and abilities at it. Yeah, I, I think that you also have to give a little shout out to Rampart you know, she can add that turret on the back of a trident, totally. which is a lot of fun. But also just who doesn't want a turret and amped cover all the time. So <laughs> in open situations, you definitely want Gibraltar more so than Rampart. Mm-hmm. But the added abilities of Rampart can be pretty good when you're trying to deal damage, hold on to a corner, and then rotate with a trident. Always great to have. Yeah, for sure. More so than Rampart, though, I think Loba really shines on this map and maybe some people will think that's odd we said you know loba's at her absolute strongest on king's canyon but based off the poi design i think loba is so effective and really helpful for a team you think about locations like rift bonsai uh, you know hydroponic or farms um it's so much easier to loot those large pois that are so spread out with a black market so mm-hmm. i really think that Loba is a top, top pick uh, for a map like Olympus, just based off of how spread out the POIs feel. Yeah, this was the when she got her ammo change, kind of how mm-hmm. her ultimate worked as well. And so we did get the first experience, I think, of playing her at her peak, per se, on this map. And it just fits so well. And that kind of stuck into everything else and all these other maps that we've now enjoyed playing her on. But she really does, like you said, truly shine over here as does this next legend on the list, really had his breakout on this map and uh, has not been slowed down since. (laughs) No, certainly not. I mean, Octane is good anywhere, really. Mm -hmm. Um, But Olympus being such an open map and being really the location that Octane rose to the top to have a balancing perspective and a popularity perspective, Octane is really the king of Olympus when it comes down to it, just based off the launch pad and the ability to cross open spaces really, really quickly for the whole team, very, very easily, and then command these larger POIs by taking the high ground um, the most effectively out of any legend. Yeah, this this map has so much open space, like you said, and uh, nobody lets you survive that like Octane. And I think that was the simple formula to his success here that kind of just spurned people to truly realize how good he was at the time and uh, still is pretty dang good right now. I think uh, also you got to give the honorable shout out to we kind of talked about the advantage of this legend on the most previous map or saying all this stuff, open area, tough buildings to kind of like control Got to mention that this is a tough one to have success on as Watson. And singling out Watson feels kind of mean, but Caustic still has this offensive ability that can create some viability in other maps and such that Watson just doesn't have. And because of that, she really does hurt on this map, unfortunately, when you can fence up certain buildings and then still get shot and not have cover because of windows 
you're going to be in a tough situation as a defensive legend. Yeah. Um, it's pretty painful being Watson for that reason, based off building design and just the pace of games on mm-hmm. Olympus that you can't really rotate early and find the power position and own it. Watson doesn't really add the same value that she does on other maps. Yep. Last but not least, though, we got map number four, the latest addition to this group. We got Stormpoint. I'm super excited to talk about this map. I think uh, what I get excited with with Stormpoint is thinking about how far every map has come that has been added to the game. You look at Kings from the beginning to now, Worlds from the beginning to now, and even Olympus to an extent. Dude, I can't even imagine what Storm Point's going to be in a year's time, like in terms of just getting updates and getting town takeovers, all that kind of fun stuff. Like there's so much space and there's such a great environment to add more things that I'm really looking forward to the future. Yeah. Storm Point, obviously the most recent addition. It was designed by the same person who made World's Edge, which is Rodney Reese. It's also the largest map we've had to date. It's about 15% larger than World's Edge. Um, the new game director, uh, Stephen Ferreria, expanded on that and that we can expect this map different from the earlier maps, which were designed with a singular experience in mind. Stormpoint, they created a map that will seamlessly evolve alongside our live service updates for years down the road. That's a pretty fun quote. I think that it's Mm -hmm. exciting just because it outlines a more clear roadmap for what town takeovers may look like, what game changes may look like in terms of potentially new PVE, new vehicles, new weapons, new throwables, new legends, all these things that will definitely play an impact on the environment and the map. Sounds like Stormpoint has all those boxes checked. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. We're excited about that. The craziest thing about Stormpoint is it is on a slope. The entire map, the vertical differences here, we've never seen anything like it. Um, the highest point is on Stormpoint is just so much higher than anything else like it. You know, we have the lightning rod at the very top going all the way down to the beaches of you know the fish farm. So Drastic difference there, which will definitely affect end games as well as just rotations throughout the early and middle game. Um, and really, the colors are beautiful. We have the return of triadents, we have prowlers, roaming AI, spiders, flyers, all sorts of things. This is pretty much the tropical map that I think everybody really wanted and was a slam dunk. I'm really happy with how this map looks and plays. Everyone was dreaming of the jungle map. They got the jungle map like 100%. And I think they killed it. It looks amazing from every angle. I still remember just being like taken away with how beautiful it was when we got to do the early access and see it early. And we're just right in the dropship for the first time. The color of the water is so amazing. Like they just do such a great job with this map. And like other ones, it did introduce a different play style kind of like we got this new blend of this 
huge steep incline, fighting uphill, fighting downhill, and these really long lines of sight that have caused us to do marksman episode after sniper episode, uh, just in terms of style of combat. So this one has its own unique features uh, and really is just great. And the competitive scene is really excited to have this map as well, it sounds like, which maybe that's just going to be a Rodney Reese staple at this point. And I'm I'm really excited to see what, what happens in the future, like I said, with this one. Totally. Let's dive into the lore. Um, so this deserted island wasn't always so deserted. Part of the new Antilia archipelago, this beautiful island teeming with plentiful resources was one of the first places where early IMC expeditions made landfall on the planet Gaia. However, the area was isolated and beset by tropical storms. A permanent settlement was established on a nearby coastline, today known as the city of Suotamo and power-generating storm catchers were built on Storm Point to meet the growing city's energy needs. When the IMC pulled out of the Outlands, the storm catchers fell into disrepair. Eventually, one finally stopped working, but not on its own. It had been pulled down, and its absence exasperated the storm that surrounded the island. A survey of the area revealed the remains of several unique settlements built across the centuries, but no survivors. The people of Gaia abandoned the island for many years, apart from occasional scavenger or pirate group that attempted to loot what was left behind. Until, of course, it caught the eye of the mercenary syndicate who saw it as a perfect location for the Apex Games. It's obviously a newest map, and there's a lot of lore that I think is going to go down, starting with Bangalore ship, and do we see her brother? Like, I think that's the big mystery coming up that we're hoping to find out about. But yeah, it's got a very solid backstory, and in terms of the lore... It's another one where I think there's so much potential. You got a huge map like this. Uh, there's room for there to be crazy thing after crazy thing anywhere in it. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I think that it's just so dense in its map design. You know, mm -hmm. we really haven't had trees, to be honest. You know, trees are kind of rare. We had a forest kind of that was burnt down on king's canyon that was essentially replaced after a game update and then world's edge is just fire and ice there's really no trees there mm -hmm. and olympus has artificial trees here and there um, but having a dense jungle like this is quite the new look and one that mm -hmm. we were really excited about um, from just a, a gunplay perspective let's talk about the legends though and the first thing you have to talk about when we look at this map is that there are no redeploy balloons except for the one that's very far up in the north off to the side because of that valkyrie is so so powerful the ability to redeploy and have a function that we're so used to having at all times in apex and accessible to everyone at any point is pretty major i would say and something that definitely rockets her to the top of our list in terms of legends for this particular map yeah Without a doubt, Valkyrie has a massive strength here. The passive tactical are incredibly versatile as well, um, but the ultimate is just incredible. And when you think about the whole map being on a slope, when you think about legends that operate well in open areas where they're having to go through uphill battles, Gibraltar, Bangalore, really, really strong legends. You know, mm -hmm. I lean more on the Gibraltar side. Shay's been picking up more Bangalore as we've been exploring the map. And there's a lot of strength packed into both those kits on pushing and pulling, going through, covering areas. Um, 
a lot of good things. And I think they both shine on this map Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And in terms of that kind of open uphill, versatile rotational tools are really important in terms of getting something out of a kit. And so Octane and Wraith are kind of two legends that do that, where you're not just going to be able to get from point A to point B, but you have freedom in how you do it. Wraith can obviously maneuver herself in any way, shape, or form, switch direction if need be. And Octane, having the ability to double jump, switch directions, go for different kinds of elevations is totally huge. They're great on any map, but specifically this kind of tough rotations like you mentioned all the trees and kind of things they really stand out and speaking of the trees trees equal less visibility okay insert bloodhound easy easy the ability to really assist i think we could put bloodhound on any list truly but i think bloodhound fits this list very very strongly because of the jungle tree environment where it is kind of tough to see people at times and there's some serious choke points as well with kind of all the uh, spiders and stuff in here and like we kind of mentioned that with the king's canyon thing being able to clear out choke points with someone like bloodhound is huge yeah i think that something we like about all of the apex maps are how you play them will change on a game-to-game basis based off of where you drop, where you rotate to, what the end game is. And so there are, on Storm Point, you could be in a dense jungle or you could be in an open beach in the middle of water. So there's just so much difference in terms of what your legend or your team comp has to react to depending on the chance that you might end in a different situation. And I think mm-hmm. that Hard biases, you try to get on top of it no matter what. You try to get to the high ground, you try to rotate on the high side of any circle, and you can do so by keeping Gibraltar, Bloodhound, and Valkyrie mm-hmm. on your team. You know, it's pretty much as easy as that. But like Shay said, Octane, Wraith, Bloodhound rise to the top in terms of popularity no matter what uh, for the last year of Apex. So they're always good bets. And I think outside of that, We like all the legends, but these are just some that we really think shine on each individual map and Mm -hmm. specifically Storm Point here at the end. Yep. Well said. Four awesome maps. I love talking lore. Can't wait to see how the stories continue to unfold. And I'm really excited to see what happens with the future of all the maps, kind of like how we mentioned. What do rotations look like going into the next year of Apex Legends? Something to really monitor, but we've got four killer maps do you want to have a, do you want to give a favorite at all? Do you want to like share at all a favorite POI maybe or anything to wrap up this entire conversation? I mean, I said it at the beginning. I really Kings. like Kings. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were to talk about favorite POIs, I think that Ramparts Town Takeover is a big big favorite on World's mm-hmm. Edge. Um I think it's tough to say because this whole episode's about maps. I want to say and the they're maps all the most important thing about mm-hmm. the game. It's not really true. It probably is like legends, then weapons, then maps, I would say. But they're really important. And mm-hmm. enjoying the map that you're playing on is critical. And now that we have a whole different rotation of maps for arenas, it's just we get to see so many more tools in building environments, cover, rotations that... I'm just so excited about, and I think Storm Point is a big, big win. Yeah, well said. I got to give the nod to World's Edge as my personal favorite for tons of reasons that we already mentioned on the show. I don't need to reiterate, and I miss Mirage Voyage as the favorite POI. I truly do. I I miss it so much. I want it back. 
Oh, please, someday. But that can wrap up that segment, though. Uh, and we are going to wrap up today's show by answering a five-star question. This one's coming from Mythology. I started listening to your podcast about a month ago, and now I listen to it every day. Love the information while still being entertaining. Thanks for the weekly uploads. Question. I like to run SMGs and shotguns like R99 and Peacekeeper. Because of the new map, I know it's not as effective, but I'm a Valkyrie main and use my ultimate for most fights. Should I change weapons, or do you think I can still do good and win games? Interesting technique. I think... uh... Being Closing able to the gap. jump right on top of enemies mm-hmm. with her ultimate all the time is pretty risky. Um, kind of a scary technique to rely on. Very um, aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can hit your shots and you can stay aggressive, yeah, that's a, a good way to go. We tend to think of Valkyrie as definitely having the ability um, to fight in buildings up close. You can use a shotgun SMG, but having a an AR or a marksman or a triple take more specifically um can be really good just because her tactical is more long range so i I would probably advise for that but really i I don't want to slow you down if you're you're that aggressive and it's working for you if you're already winning games go for it if it's not i would maybe go into an lmg sort of situation where you can control the mid-range with the tactical yeah, I mean, even if you're winning games, I would just advise shift that nine for an R3. Like you're going to be able to use it similarly as to the nine, but still have a bit more of the versatility, not to the marksman sniper kind of level, but you will. I think you'll run into some times where you're like, oh, I can definitely hit these people now because I have this gun versus a nine, even if you are trying to go jump on people from spot to spot. And for all these car, like all these R9 users, don't forget about the car. Like totally. car is so, so good and you're going to be great with it. If you can handle the R9, I think you're going to have such an easier time using the car. And it, it's just an incredible weapon. Yep. That's going to wrap it up though. Thank you to our producer, the third party 10 who supports us over on Patreon. Subscribe and Apple pause, drop a follow on Spotify, leave a five star review with your question. We'll answer on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at third party pod and check out the discord via the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the third party podcast. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom. Whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs>